and uh, welcome to our service this morning. As you'll see in the uh, opening page that we have a service of baptism, communion, and remembrance this morning. So there's a lot happening. Uh, Karen and I watched the annual service of remembrance last evening on the BBC. And I think one of the most poignant things that happened in that service was an interview with a father and a mother uh, who had experienced the death of their son in Afghanistan in 2008. And uh, what struck me was the pride that they had in their son, and yet obviously the pain that they still felt because of his uh, tragic death. Um, and, and the father, as he was sitting there, was a man who had lots of tattoos. And on his uh, left forearm, he had, uh, which interested me, John 15, 13. And if you remember that, because we've been looking at that, greater love has no one than this, that he laid down his life for his friends. So greater love has no one than this, that he lays down his life for his friends. And I suppose that gave him hope, didn't it? That his, fa that his son's death was not uh, purposeless, but that it had a purpose in that conflict in Afghanistan. And we have this opportunity this morning in baptism and in communion to think about a death that was significant as well the death of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we're going to uh, sing in our first hymn, Christ is the World's True Light. And there's a little line in that hymn that says, to heal its ancient wrong. So his purpose was to deal with the wrong in the world, which is sin. And we thank you that, we thank Jesus that in that, that we have forgiveness of sins and we have access uh, to him and eternal life. So let's begin our service by standing to sing before the act of remembrance, Christ is the world's true light. Let's stand to sing. Good morning. You might have noticed that the dates on our war memorial on the stairs and on our memorial windows are 1914 to 1919. So this morning we continue our centenary commemoration of the First World War. Jesus said, now is your time of grief, but I will see you again and you will rejoice. Let us pray. Almighty God, on this Remembrance Sunday, we remember all from this country who served during the First World War. Make us good stewards of the freedom they won. We remember those of other nations who fought beside them and those who fought against them for their own countries. Bring us all to the day when nation no longer makes war against nation. We remember the physically wounded and the shell-shocked. Bring healing and peace for body, mind, and spirit to all who are scarred and to all who are disabled by war. 
we remember the homes, livelihoods and communities destroyed by bombs and gunfire. Have mercy on all who still live in the shadow of war. We remember the chaplains who showed the love of Christ when danger and death were all around. Give us faith strong enough to share with the fearful and the dying. We remember the peacemakers who prayed and worked to end the violence and destruction of the First World War. Raise up peacemakers in all the war zones of the world today. We remember those who died in battle or from their wounds and those who took their own lives in agony or despair. Bring them in Christ to resurrection life. We remember those whose names are written here, who went from this community to serve or to die in war. In this sixth year of the centenary of the First World War, we bring to mind the 31 men of this congregation who died on active service. We remember by name Demosten Gigo and Blaney Plant in the centenary year of their deaths. We think of the 50,000 Irish men killed in the war, some from our own communities, our own families. We also bring to mind the 10,000 Irishmen killed in the Second World War, including five from this congregation. We also name before God servicemen Hugh McCabe and Victor Arbuckle in the 50th anniversary year of their violent deaths in Northern Ireland. We include in our remembrance more than 400,000 Korean people killed in the Second World War and some two and a half million casualties of the Korean War. We especially remember the people who were killed from the families of those who worship in this place. As we remind ourselves of those who were killed from our congregation, we give you thanks that in their short lives, they had learnt in this place about the things that endure, the faith that can move mountains, the hope that can defeat death, the love that never fails. As we remember in silence before God, those who have made the ultimate sacrifice, let us commend their souls anew to God's eternal mercy and compassion. And let us pray that God would grant us grace to serve him faithfully until our life's end to the honour and glory of his holy name. Please stand, if you're able, for some minutes of silence. We will remember them. 
Please sit. And we continue to pray. Almighty God, lead us from death to life, from falsehood to truth. Lead us from despair to hope, from fear to trust. Lead us from hate to love, from war to peace. Let peace fill our hearts, our world, your whole creation. Amen. Thank you very much, Andrew. Well, folks, we're going to stand to sing and focus again on the Lord Jesus Christ um, as we think about Psalm 95, and let us sing to the God of salvation. Let's stand to sing this song. Well, that's good singing. Um, I did always want to sing, sing hallelujah, um, and I had to keep looking at the words as well. But let's join together. We'll pray together just saying the Lord's Prayer Um, as a congregation. So let's join together in prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom the power and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Well, folks, it's good to have you. I know it wasn't easy getting in with the the lights and all of that, uh, but uh, we're all here now, and it's great. So a very big welcome to Kirsty and Anish, and to, where's Harry? And Harry, and to Thea, and to Gabriel. Gabriel. I knew I'd get that wrong. And to Courtney, good to have you, Courtney, and to uh, Beatrice as well. It's good to have you. Folks, this morning we have the unusual privilege of being able to see two sacraments, the sacrament of baptism and the sacrament of communion. And, and they are the two that we believe in because Jesus has given us to them, given them to us with a promise. Um, And the church is always arguing about different things, and it kind of wrestles through with different situations. And in the 16th century, these two things were very much disputed. And we have fallen on the side of the Reformed Church, and our catechism, or one of the catechisms that we have, is called the Heidelberg Catechism. And I want to read that to you now. What are the sacraments? The sacraments are holy signs and seals for us to see. They were instituted by God so that by our use of them, he might make us understand more clearly the promise of the gospel and might put his seal on that promise. And this is God's gospel promise, to forgive our sins and give us eternal life by grace alone because of Christ's one sacrifice finished on the cross. So the important thing for us to see is that they were signs and seals. In other words, they're visual. So I will be using this water as a sign of the washing away of sins. And I will be using this water 
as a sign of the anointing with the Holy Spirit. And they're seals because they confirm the thing that we've just, this thing signed in that way. So they tell us about the gospel. They don't make faith. Faith is what we already have and we bring today. And faith comes from hearing the word of God. And Kirsty will affirm later on uh, in a few moments that she has heard God's word in this church and that she has believed it and she continues to hear it and endeavors to obey its teaching. And it's because of her declaration of faith that we have baptized Harry and Thea and now Gabriel. And we baptize him, of course, as a covenant child, a promised child. A covenant made with Abraham in Genesis 15 and 17 with promises of land and of children. And those children were included in the promise which is accepted by faith. The sign and the seal of that promise were circumcision. And then you might ask, well, why are we baptizing today? Because that becomes the sign and the seal today. And it's for adults, of course, and it's also for the children of believing parents. And that, we believe, has been the practice of the church since the time of Christ. So I also just want to mention one other thing. We will hear the word of God read and preached later in the service, but the verse I wish to highlight is John chapter 16 and verse 27. The Father himself loves you because you have loved me and believed that I came from God. That is a verse that arrested me this week as I was preparing. And I want you, uh, Kirsty and Anish, to hear this. The Father himself loves you. His attitude and intention towards you is love. He created you in love. He sent Jesus as, his, as your Savior in love. He poured his Holy Spirit into you so that you might be his children, his child in love. You are loved by God. And the sacraments simply tell us that in visible form. And they also tell us that he loves your child. In fact, he loves your children. And this gospel is a promise. He has given Gabriel the privilege of hearing the gospel in this church and in the family of seeing it in your life and in the life of the church and of being nourished by two loving families, natural and church, and experienced prayers of many within the natural family and the church. And all of this stems from a loving God and is specifically yours because of your response of love and belief in Jesus and the work he did on the cross for your sins. Folks, we have discovered by repentance and faith what we hope for Harry and Thea and Gabriel, their inclusion in the community of faith, and that they will give them these covenant privileges. It is our prayer that your children will acknowledge the Lord as their Savior and by faith make these promises their own. Let us pray. We thank you that we are known to you, Lord God, by name 
and loved by you from all eternity. We thank you for Jesus Christ who has opened to us the way to heaven through forgiveness of our sins. We thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit who gives us new life and your presence and who welcomes us into the family of God. We thank you, Lord God, for this family. We thank you for loving them and calling them this, to this commitment to you. Help them to take their vows depending on you. Help us to be a loving, praying, and committed church family as we promise to be for Gabriel and his parents and all other children within our church family. We praise you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, Kirsty and Anish, if, uh, Anish, if you're going to come to the front. Yeah. Okay. Okay, you're happy there? That's great. So this sacrament lays solemn duties on you as parents to make confession of your faith before God and to promise to bring up your children in that faith. Firstly, do you believe in one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? Do you confess Jesus as your Savior and Lord? Do you promise by the grace of God and by prayer and example to bring up Gabriel in the worship and teaching of the church so that he may come to confess with you that Jesus Christ is his Savior and Lord. I do. And this sacrament also lays solemn duties on you as the people of God in this congregation. So I ask you to stand. And you take this promise for this child and for all our children. Do you promise by the grace of God so to live in the faith of the gospel and in love for one another that this child and all others among you may grow up to love and serve our Lord Jesus Christ? I think I want to hear that again. Do you? We do. Great. Okay, super. Gabriel. Anish Palai, I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. The blessing of God Almighty, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit be upon you and abide in you forever. Amen. <laughs> According to Christ's commandment, Gabriel Palai, is now received into the membership of the Church of Jesus Christ and is engaged to be a servant of Christ throughout the years of his life. Let us sing the blessing of God upon him, the ironic blessing. Father, we do want to thank you that you have loved us with an everlasting love. We thank you that you have proven that love by sending Jesus. And we thank you, Father, that that Love extends to all of us, and particularly this morning uh, to Kirsty and Anish and their family. And Father, we thank you that you love them and that you wish the best for them. And so I simply pray that as they walk through life, and there will be many difficulties and uh, pressures and strains of bringing up a, a young family in this society, sometimes without the means that we would love to have, I pray that they, you, that they might know your love, not just in the sense of emotion, 
but in the practical reality of your loving care. And I pray that you will help them to keep the vows that they've taken, and that, Father, that you will help us to do the same. And, Father, we pray your deep and lasting blessing upon them. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, folks, let's conclude this part of the service just by singing, Be Thou My Vision, uh, which really speaks for itself. So let's stand and worship God. Folks, if you have your uh, order service there, we'll just uh, go through these announcements. And uh, you'll see that uh, next Sunday we uh, continue our series in John. In fact, we're going to finish the series uh, by looking at what we've called the Other Lord's Prayer, which is Jesus' high priestly prayer. Um, So he's really been teaching uh, the disciples how to live as disciples, and now he wants to pray for them. And we'll look at that next week. If you do, if you've come with uh, something in your heart that you would like to be prayed for, uh, do come to the front uh, uh, beside the organ to the little prayer table here, and uh, folks will pray for you. Um, Living Well, uh, that has been organized for Saturday the 7th of December. Um, Alan and Heather are coming home this weekend, so we'll talk about that again. It's a very busy Saturday, um, but we'll, uh, hopefully that will work out. Uh, the living well that was planned for the 16th, uh, the next Saturday, has been postponed. Uh, we want to pray for Doris, of course, who will be traveling to Sweden, uh, sadly, this week uh, for the funeral service of her um, uh, grandson, and uh, also the service then in Rathgar uh, at 11 o'clock next Saturday uh, as well. International Cafe continues to meet on Friday the, at the, the 15th at 7.30. The November Nativity Knit and Natter got off to a good start. Uh, there was lots of nattering anyway, and uh, there was some knitting. And uh, so that is now happening in uh, Rose Gibson's uh, house, as you see there. So not in the manse. And if you don't know where Rose's house is, um, uh, it's, uh, her number is there, or you can talk to her this morning. I think that should be number three needles, is it? Rather than three millimeter needles, is that right? I don't understand these things. Is it three millimeter? Oh, the very small ones. Okay, very good. Shows you what I know. Okay, and then number seven there, we have, um, it, it, we know it's Christmas, so it's time for Christmas hampers. Uh, ASSET stands for AIDS Counseling, Education and Training. And really this is an organization that looks after those who have been affected by HIV and with AIDS here in, particularly in Dublin and all over Ireland and indeed other parts of the world. If you would like to support this initiative, please contact the, aid, the asset office uh, on that Dublin number or email them. They will send you a profile um, of uh, what is needed um, and uh, what you are to do. And then you return those hampers to the church by the 8th of December. Um, And then Kirsty has asked us to announce Harcourt Terrace Educate Together National School. Isn't that a great name for a school? Um, And the interesting thing is it's just going to be round the corner. It's just going to be over here where the old Garda station was. And I've seen the plans for it, and it's quite a magnificent building and school. It's amazing how they can transform that space. And so they're looking for people who may be interested in being community members on the board of management, particularly people with accounting skills. But if you'd be interested in serving the local community in that way, which is a great thing to do, 
then do talk to Kirsty, ring her or email her uh, on uh, those, uh, that number and her email address there. Two other announcements, not on this quickly. Uh, the PCI have sent me a calendar, and there, if you would like a PCI desk calendar, a sample is on the porch, there's a poster at the back on the board, and there's a sign-up sheet which you need to sign before the end of November. They cost four euros each. And I just want to finish. It's uh, good to have Obasi and Patrick with us. Um, but uh, there, um, Esther uh, graduated from Athlone Institute of Technology with a BSc in biotechnology, and she got a first-class honors degree, and she's continuing her studies uh, with a master's. So we just want to congratulate Esther, and if you would pass that on to us, that would be great. So I think those are all the announcements that we have. Let's uh, turn to God's Word, and if you want to look up John chapter 16, and we actually begin at verse 16. I had actually meant to ask one of the elders to read this, but since I've forgotten to do that, and just for time, I'll just keep going. Uh, so if you've got your Bibles there, we'll look at uh, John chapter 16 and verse 16. Uh, to the end of the chapter. And uh, for those who haven't really been with us, um, Jesus is teaching the disciples. It's the last day of his life. He's really walking from the, um, where they've had the last supper together, and they're now walking to Gethsemane. It's late at night, and he's been teaching them. And as you can read from verse 16, as you see, the sense is that they're quite tired and confused. So let's read this. I'll read it to you from verse 16. This is God's word. In a little while you will see me no more, and then after a little while you will see me. Some of the disciples said to one another, what does he mean by saying, in a little while you will see me no more, and then after a little while you will see me. And because I'm going to the Father, they kept asking, what does he mean by a little while? We don't understand what he's saying. Jesus saw that they wanted to ask him about this, so he said to them, Are you asking one another what I meant when I said, In a little while you will see me no more, and then after a little while you will see me? I tell you the truth. You will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. You will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. A woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come. But when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of her joy that a child is born into the world. So with you. Now is your time of grief, but I will see you again and you will rejoice and no one will take away your joy. In that day you will no longer ask me anything. I tell you the truth. My Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Until now you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask and you will receive, and your joy will be complete. Though I have been speaking figuratively, a time is coming when I will no longer use this kind of language, but will tell you plainly about my Father. In that day you will ask in my name. I am not saying that I will ask the Father in your behalf. No, the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. I came from the Father and entered the world. Now I am leaving the world and going back to the Father. Then Jesus' disciples said, 
now you're speaking clearly and without figures of speech. Now we can see that you know all things and that you do not even need to have anyone ask you questions. This makes us believe that you came from God. You believe at last, Jesus answered, but a time is coming and has come when you will be scattered, each to his own home. You will leave me all alone, yet I am not alone, for my Father is with me. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. And we thank God for his word to us this morning. Well, maybe we'll just take a moment to ask God to help us to understand his word. <clears throat> Father, we thank you that, that you do want to speak to us this morning, that uh, as you spoke to the disciples, sometimes we can be tired, sometimes we can be confused, but we pray that we will understand all that you want to teach us this morning. And Father, I pray that you will encourage us and strengthen us because of that, so that we will be able to live in a way that is pleasing to you. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Karen came into the study this week as I was studying this passage, and she said, I'm going now, and I'll be back in a little while. And uh, I just smiled because I was studying this passage. And I said, to my, I said to her, where are you going? And she told me. But what struck me about this, isn't, it's amazing, isn't it, that there's actually seven verses all about I'm going in a little while, and you'll not see me, and then I'll see you in a little while. And I'm thinking to myself, well, what is that all about? And part of the reason is, of course, that these disciples are grieving. They're not able to think properly. Uh, they're, they're upset because Jesus has said he's going away. They're tired, of course. They've just had a good meal, um, and they've now walked quite a, quite a way, perhaps, up, uh, up the mountain towards the uh, Gethsemane. Um, and they're not able to take it in. We saw that in verse 12 of the same chapter. I have much more to say to you than you're now able to bear. They're confused. That's why they keep asking in verses 17 and 18. And the question is, what does he actually mean? And I think it's actually easy for us because we have this knowledge. We live after this time. And we've heard this many times before. But when he says that he's going away for a little while, he's talking about his death and burial. In a little while you will see me no more because I'll be dead and I'll be in the tomb and you won't see me. And then three days later you will see me post-resurrection and after a little while you will see me. And really again if you look at this it's massively important. Look at verse 19. Jesus saw that they wanted to ask him. Now the word is saw, the word is to see. It's fascinating, isn't it, that he's able to actually see into their hearts and that he's able to understand the concerns that they have. And he knows their deepest longings, he knows their needs, he knows their cares, and he confidently speaks to them, doesn't he, in verse 20, I tell you the truth. And that just encouraged me that God knows who I am, he knows who you are, and he wants to speak to you. He understands, and he has truth to tell you. And this is what he says. Firstly, 
your grief. This will be a time of grief in verses 22 to 24, but that grief will turn to joy. If you just read that statement, it doesn't maybe impact us enough, but if we take time, within the next 24 hours, there will be brutal, evil, and full of fear for the disciples. It will be brutal, evil, and full of fear for the disciples. Jesus will be arrested and tried. He will be beaten and condemned and crucified. It was horrendous in every sense of the word. Armed men will roughly arrest him. His trial is a travesty of justice. Jesus is treated in a degrading way with mockery and cruelty. And of course, the cross was the most cruel way to die of all, by sheer suffocation. Their good and gentle leader would be brutally killed, treated and killed. And folks, death does bring grief. And a difficult death brings very deep grief. And the problem here as well is, is not only their grief, but if you look at the end of that verse as well, as well, where it says um, that the world will rejoice at this time. It's an amazing thing, thing, isn't it? You will be grieving, but the world will rejoice. But, and that's the important bit, your grief will turn to joy. And remember, this is an emphatic statement of truth from Jesus. It was true. And if you've got a moment, just flick over to chapter 20 and verse 20. 2020. It's easy to remember. In fact, I'll just read 19 and 20 because it gives us a sense of the reality. On the evening of that first day of the week when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and sighed. The disciples were overjoyed because they saw the Lord. They're overjoyed because they saw the Lord. And it's similar. He, Jesus paints a picture there, isn't it, of a woman grieving or giving birth, sorry, to a child. And, of course, the pain uh, is forgotten uh, because of the reality that a child has been born into the world. And, and that's not a, just, he, doesn't, hasn't, he just hasn't picked that picture up. It's not just a good illustration. It's actually an Old Testament picture. The prophets spoke of this all the time, of a woman giving birth. And it introduces us, of course, to the last days. And you see where it says that, in that day. And uh, that's what's beginning to happen in that sense. So your grief will be real because Jesus will be brutally killed, but your joy will also be real because he will rise from the dead and you will see him. And that is the reality of what he's trying to teach them. He says, secondly, that this joy will be permanent. You see that as well in verses 22 to 24, particularly at the end of 22 there, and no one will take away your joy. Again, we just need to picture this. The, way, the reason that they are, are happy, of course, is because Jesus is there. Jesus is present with them. They're able to talk to him. They're able to uh, have a conversation with him. They're able to see him, touch him. Um, but that's going to change. Um, and he's not going to be there. 
And yet this promise is, of course, that their joy will never be taken away. And the question we should be asking is, is why does that happen? And you need to go back uh, because he's reminding them of what he said in verse 7. He's saying that I have to go away because if I don't go away, the Holy Spirit can't come. But if the Holy Spirit comes, he brings us, the Holy Spirit will bring my presence. Verses 12 to 16 of, that, of the chapter that we've just been reading. And particularly, he brings them remembrance of the Word of God, verses 9 to 11 in particular, in chapter 15. The presence of the Holy Spirit and obedience to the Word of God brings a promise of intimate, joyful presence of Jesus. And that's the reality. Because Jesus is going away, the situation has changed, but the Spirit comes. He reminds us of Jesus He introduces us to Jesus, and he gives us Jesus' words. And that's why it says in verse 22, no one will take away your joy, because no one will be able to take the presence of Jesus away from you. And folks, isn't that absolutely wonderful? No circumstance, no difficulty, no opposition, nothing as Paul says, can separate us from the love of God and from the presence of God. And the way that we cultivate that is by listening to the words of God, by understanding them and allowing them to be part of our hearts. No one will take away your joy because of the presence of the Holy Spirit. Next, he then says to them, because of this changed reality that your joy will never be taken away, But he also says prayer will be answered because God the Father loves you in verses 23 to 28. You see, again, up to this point, the disciples have actually been talking to Jesus. They actually haven't been praying to God the Father because they've they've actually just been saying to Jesus, Jesus, this is what we would like. This is what we're thinking. How does this work? What do you mean by this? And they just talk to him face to face. But now he's not going to be there. That's what Jesus says. Now you will ask me. Uh, Now you will not ask me because I will not be there. You will ask my Father, and he will give you whatever you ask in my name, 23 and 24. And we need to be able to grasp that change. That's a fundamental change in the reality of what's happened in their lives. The disciples will ask the Father. They will say as we did, our Father in heaven. And it's all because of the person and work of Jesus. That's why it says we ask in his name. We come because of Christ's righteousness. We cannot approach in our own sinfulness. We come because he died on the cross so that the curtain is torn in two. You know the gospel. That's the truth, why we say it in Jesus' name. And that is an absolutely fundamental change that has come about because of the death and resurrection of Jesus. And Jesus goes on to talk about it in verse 26 as well. In that day you will ask in my name, I will... I'm not saying that I will ask the Father on your behalf. That's an interesting little phrase, isn't it? Because he realizes that they don't actually believe that they can come to the Father. They've never done it. God is too holy and too pure. And look at verse 27. And folks, this is the key. It is the absolute key to understanding our Christian faith. No, says Jesus. The Father himself 
loves you. I want you to hear that. The Father himself loves you. The Father himself loves you. The Father himself loves you. And if you know that, it changes everything. Is it not true that our Christian lives become joyless and prayerless? That our lives are often negative and burdened? That we're often fearful and anxious? And it's not that those things will totally disappear. You do not have to persuade God to love you. You do not have to impress him or even come to church or do the things that he wants. He loves you. And that will absolutely transform. It's a reminder of what we've just been saying in the sacraments. It's what we will see in communion. And it's just fundamentally about his covenant love to us. He's not, in a sense, just talking about a general love. If you look at that verse again, No, the Father himself loves you because you have loved me. And have believed that I came from God. This is response of love. Because we love him. Because we understand who he is. Because we've responded to him. We've repented and believed. And therefore we're within the covenant. And it's a fascinating idea, isn't it? What is the key to prayer? The key to prayer is understanding the deep love of God. Understanding that the prayer, that that will, will transform prayer, will it not? It will become honest and heartfelt conversation in truth. It becomes a thing of joy because it completes the reality of relationship despite the circumstances. You are loved. And it's challenging too, isn't it? Could it be that we don't actually truly believe that? And if we do, then we will understand the transformation that will come in our lives. Ask and you will receive and your joy will be complete. It's amazing. So you will have the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will never be taken away from you. Therefore, the joy of his presence cannot be taken away from you. You have the love of the Father, and the love of the Father is real and true. And in every circumstance, whatever you go through, you have the love of the Father. And because of that, you can talk to him And because he's a father who loves, he will answer you. He will say yes, he will say no, he will say not yet, but he will answer. Absolutely amazing. And lastly, he says that we will have peace in 25 to 33 because Jesus is with us. You see that in the very last, that in 33, in me you may have peace. David Gooding uses the classic story and it's, it's not easy to tell these stories nowadays. They, they maybe don't sit as easily with us as they did, but um, the story of the classic, um, the story is of the classic story of a, of a prince who has wealth and wisdom and character and power, and he falls in love with this poor, poor in the sense of having no money, uneducated, uncultured girl who lives in the village. And when he comes to seek her and to win her, he doesn't come as a keen dressed in his finery. He comes, of course, in ordinary clothes. He comes so that she might not be afraid 
and that she might get to know him gently and in time. And of course, as they get to know one another better, he reveals more and more of himself to that wonderful moment when she not only knows that he loves her, but she knows who he truly is. And because of his magnificence and his power and his wealth, they have this most amazing marriage that the whole village is glad about. And that's what John is telling us here. That's why it says in verse 25, though I have been speaking figuratively, a time is coming when I will no longer use this kind of language, but will tell you plainly about my father. You see, the gospel story is similar, isn't it? Because Jesus came from the glory of heaven, but he was born to poor parents. He lived in a remote and backward part of the country of Israel. His character and his, and his desires were revealed in different ways and at different moments. He taught with authority and the people were amazed. He did amazing miracles of all sorts of types and sizes. He said, I am many times, and yet the disciples didn't fully grasp it. And now he's saying the time is coming. In other words, post-resurrection, you will see that I will have a transformed body. And you will see that I have defeated death. And you will understand, if you haven't fully understand it already, that I am who I said I am. And that will give you joy. And that will give you peace. Because I will be with you forever and forever. It's amazing, isn't it, in verse 29, because they think they believe. There's a kind of irony about this, of course. Now you are speaking clearly, the disciples said, and without figures of speech, now we can see that you know all things and that you do not even need to have anyone ask you questions. This makes us believe that you came from God. And uh, I don't know if Jesus does irony, but I think in verse 37 or 31, it's quite close to it. You believe at last. Or if you look at the question down below in the footnote, do you now believe? Because folks, their faith will be tested. It's not going to be easy. Peter will deny him three times with curses. But Jesus knows that he's not alone. The disciples, as we read, will be locked away in their own homes for fear of the Jews. But Jesus is not alone. And I suppose what struck me as well is that the experience of Jesus will be the experience of the disciples post-resurrection. That's why he says, in this world you will have trouble in verse 33. In a sense, you'll just have trouble, the difficulties, difficulties of getting to church because they decide to do roadworks at the junction that allows us to come, and we feel under pressure. This week, by the way, the Mawinney's car failed to start. Its battery was dead. Sam, being the tight man that he is from North Antrim, when he rang the insurance, people said, oh, you didn't pay for that insurance, uh, that they would come to the house, so I had no one who would come from the insurance people. I rang up the people who do car batteries, and they said, oh, because of your car is a stop-start, we don't replace those batteries. But if you ring this person, then, and I rang that person, and they said, oh, we don't come out anymore. And I'm left with a car that won't start. 
And then I ring the garage and the garage says, by the way, when you change that battery, it's likely that the computer will shut down and you'll need a code to restart, the, restart everything. And you'll find that code in the compartment, glove compartment. And so I looked in the glove compartment and it wasn't there and there was no code. Just the difficulties of life. And actually God was good because Katie, Katie and Karen went and bought the battery. They had to carry it down in a carrier bag. And when I replaced it, the, the battery didn't, uh, there must have been enough power around in the system because the, the, the radio worked and everything was fine. But two days of grief and anxiety and not knowing what to do. Just life, you will have trouble. And we need to learn the lesson that even if we have trouble, Jesus is still with us. He still loves us. He still answers our prayers. And of course, we will have trouble, won't we? Because we're followers of Jesus. Not just in other parts of the world, sadly, but in our own world, in our own life, we will have people who think that we're wrong. We will have the disapproval of society over certain issues. They will want us to keep what we do in this church building and not dare to speak it outside. They will challenge us and say all manner of things against us, even being personally against us. You will have trouble. But listen to what he says. I have told you these things, all that we've been reading from chapter 13 to 17. I've been telling you these things. Why? So that in me you may have peace. Take heart. I have overcome the world. He is, he is victorious over the devil. He is victorious over the world. And everything that it throws at us cannot defeat us. Jesus' resurrection proves that he was victorious. And Satan and sin and death are defeated. So let me just leave you with four points. As Christians, we have within us the presence of Jesus through the Holy Spirit. It is a permanent reality, and nothing can separate us from the Lord. And therefore, whatever circumstances we're in, we have love, joy, and peace of Christ while having trouble. Secondly, Christians have God as their heavenly Father who loves them. And practically that means that we have access to him in prayer and that he hears us and that as our Father he will answer us. And thirdly, it means the presence of the Holy Spirit and the victory of Jesus at the cross mean that we have hope the hope of that husband and uh, father and mother whose son died in Afghanistan was that their son's death meant something. And the hope for us, of course, is that Jesus' death meant something. It meant that he'd overcome Satan, he'd overcome the world, and he'd overcome sin. And therefore, we are guaranteed eternal life. And folks, the purpose for which this has been given is not so that we would bask in this love and this joy and this peace and this hope, but is that we would be involved in mission, 
that we would be telling others. I've been reading on in these chapters, and Mary Magdalene, she hugs Jesus. It's a beautiful picture, isn't it? She doesn't want to let him go because he's gone away and he's come back and we're holding on to him. But what does he say? He says, go. Go and tell the disciples. And when the disciples in chapter 15, we saw that what did they, what were they told to do? They were told to go. You must go and testify. Folks, we have this good news, but we need to share this good news. And that is what I think Jesus is, tell, is telling us. And he will pray that we will do the same. So let's be encouraged. The Father loves us. Jesus is victorious. And the presence of the Holy Spirit is always with us. Amen. I suppose what, what I want us to know beyond a shadow of a doubt when we leave this morning is that God loves us. And at the last communion, we must have just started this series in chapter 13 of John's Gospel because we said, having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. And then the verse that I started the service with in John chapter 15 and verse 13, the full extent of that love, of course, was Jesus giving himself. Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. And we've seen, of course, today that the very crux of our faith is the fact that the Father loves us. The Father himself loves you. And so we see that he gave us his one and only son. We see that he was generous. Generous in all sorts of ways. So that we might ask him for anything in his name. And of course he was gracious. Because we don't deserve it. So we're going to say the words of the Apostles' Creed. Because again this is our response. We, we've heard of the Father's love. We've heard of the truth. I tell you the truth. And this is the truth that we believe. We believe in God the Father and what he's done. We believe in God the Son and what he's done. And we believe in God the Holy Spirit and what he's done. So let's confess our faith together. I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting Amen. I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry, and he who believes in me will never be thirsty. Lord Jesus, on the night you were betrayed, you took bread and wine. Give thanks and give them to your disciples, that we might fulfill your command to do this in memory of you. It is in your name and by your authority that we set aside this bread and wine from all common uses to this holy use and mystery. Let us pray.
Father, we thank you that again this communion table is a sign. We can see it. We can touch the elements. We can taste the elements. And Father, it teaches us of the gospel. It teaches us that Jesus died on the cross and that his body was broken, as we say. And it teaches us that his blood was poured as a sacrifice of atonement for our sins. And it teaches us that as we eat and drink and we know that to be real, so these things are real and that they nourish us and that we are forgiven and that our, our life is secure for eternity with you. So Father, we thank you for the bread and we thank you for the wine and we pray that as we take them, that we will honor you. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The Lord Jesus Christ, in the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it, in remembrance of me. Well, let's take the bread, and we'll hold it until everybody has been served. This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. I'm just going to ask you to remain standing, and we will sing, My Heart is Filled with Thankfulness. But just let's take a moment to pray, um, particularly for Doris and uh, the Mitchell family, and to give thanks that Annie is home. Father, we want to give thanks for the service that we've had this morning and for the reminder of the depth of your love. We've heard it from your word. We've seen it in the uh, sacraments of baptism and communion. And Father, though it's not easy to live as a Christian and to be a Christian in this world, we are secure and Father, we are loved and we have your presence of peace and of joy and that gives us hope. And Father, we rejoice as a community because Annie has been allowed home and uh, Father is in her own home and we thank you for that. We thank you that she's improved and we thank you, Father, that she's improving uh, physically. And we thank you, Father, that you have been clear, close to her, that she has not been in despair, that she has not been a grumbler, that she has been positive, and that she's been full of faith. And Father, we have been speaking about grief, the grief of remembrance because of the world wars, the grief of the death of Jesus. And Father, we pray for the Mitchell family this week in particular. Father, we remember David and Dorothy and Matthew. We remember Doris and the wider family. And we pray that you will accompany them as they fly to Sweden, 
that you will be with them as they remember Jonathan in the funeral service. And that, Father, that you will be a comfort to them. Father, I pray that you will help them to see that though they may not know it at this time, that you understand their needs, that you understand their grief, because you, as a loving Father, lost your son. And so, Father, I pray that you will truly be with them and that our prayers will accompany them this week as we care for them in this practical way. And, Father, we pray for... Uh, John and Myrtle today, just in John's weakness and Myrtle's inability to come to church this morning, we pray that you will be with them too. And that, Father, that they will know, as they have expressed, that they know your comfort and they know your help. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.